0: I purposely don't give questions and I don't give too many cues or hints about what's going to go on the podcast because I want us both to be listening. Like you said last Mm -hmm. week that Mm -hmm. you like to listen intently while doing your podcast, the more than a few words podcast, which is in episode 640 range. I think
1: 650 ish, somewhere there. Yeah.
0: But the goal, as you said last week, was that you listen harder because you want to have a real conversation. And that's what I want as well. So consequently, I don't clue people in. I don't give them questions ahead of time and stuff like that. But I do want to refer back to what we started talking about last week right at the end of the episode, which was being active, building a personal brand, even in later years in your career. Let's call it um, the third, fourth act of your life. I remember hearing the venerable Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. He, of course, is dressed like he's a skater boy and he's dropping F-bombs like he's on the cast of The Sopranos and, you know, he's doing all that stuff. But he said something that caught my eye or caught my ear. And I went, oh, you are so right, man. He said, if you think this isn't for you, meaning social media and kind of building your personal brand via social media because you think you're too old. It doesn't matter if you're 20, if you're 50, if you're 70, you can do this. And if you don't, you're leaving opportunity on the table. And I'm like, ah, dang it. Because I, like you, was an early adopter of Twitter and I got Mm -hmm. my handle on Twitter. Well, partly Mm -hmm. because there's only one DP canoe 10 in the whole wide world, but I was early adopting, but I didn't early embrace. And Mm -hmm. that I look back on it now and go, oh, what a what a waste. It's that old Chinese proverb about the best time to plant a tree. When's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago or right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's true. 20 years ago, had I been blogging and podcasting and all that stuff, I'd be so much farther ahead. But if I don't start now, I'm leaving that opportunity on the table. Mm-hmm. and. I I see you nodding your head in violent agreement. Mm -hmm. Tell us why you are so violently in agreement.
1: You know, when you're talking about the comment of of Gary Vandercheck, I always think about people who are like, oh, you know, I was going to go back to school and get that degree, but I'll be so old when I finish. And my attitude is you're going to be old anyway. You're either going to be old with a degree or without it. And it would be wonderful if the world would just stop spinning for a little while, if things would stop changing, if technology would stop, but none of that is going to happen. And so if you're content to retire from your corporate job and sit out on the back porch on a rocking in your rocking chair with a cigar and a good book, and that's the life you chose, great. But if you're ready to embrace that next phase of whatever your life is, post your corporate job, post whatever, then you got to get on the train. you got to look at what's happening. You've got to look at what tools you can use.
0: That's the key word. You hit it right there. Tools. Mm-hmm. Everything we're talking about, these are tools that artisans mm-hmm. and craftspeople use I mean radio did not kill the video star or video did not kill the radio star which one was it it was the buggles radio killed the vid- video killed the radio star that's video, what the video was.
1: killed the radio yeah
0: right but guess what people still go to see live theater they still go to see movies they still watch tv they still do everything books hardcover uh-huh. books that have been around since pre-Gutenberg are still around these things don't disappear they just kind of change shape every now and then Mm -hmm. and they're just tools so if you're a craftsman or a craftswoman and there's a new tool aren't you gonna at least try it out to see if it suits the style of whatever you're crafting
1: you know as you're looking at these tools and it can be overwhelming and there's always another platform and I think you have to find that balance. And a really good example is right about a year ago, I got an invitation to Clubhouse. Everybody was rushing on the Clubhouse. It was going to be the next platform for people who wanted to be thought leaders. Yep. And I took a run at it. And after having had experiences on other platforms where maybe I didn't run as hard or as fast as I could, I took a run at it. I was active in rooms. I was doing a regular show with a friend every Friday morning. And we we were building a little bit of an audience. And after about five months, we looked at it and we went, okay, we've really given this a good run. But the truth is that... It's not the best use of our time. And we switched to Facebook Live. And now, because LinkedIn has finally approved me, we're (laughs) doing it live on Facebook and LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube simultaneously. And the difference was Clubhouse, you couldn't capture the content. Right. And so no matter how brilliant you thought you were, it was trees falling in the forest all day long.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. And. It's funny you say that because I applaud you for taking a five month run at it. I got Mm -hmm. on it on Clubhouse, got excited for two days and instantly (laughs) went, wait a minute. There are no transcripts. There are no recordings. The brilliant stuff you said was heard only by the people who were in the room at the Mm -hmm. time. And, oh, there were only 10 people. Mm -hmm. Huh. My podcast, if I put on an episode, it sits Mm -hmm. on a shelf forever. I can have a transcript of every podcast I've done on my website, doing good SEO things for my website and all that stuff Mm -hmm. forever. And it's a force multiplier like crazy. Mm -hmm. That's when, and I'm a big listener of a, a guy named Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher on the Pivot podcast. Scott Galloway kept saying, "Clubhouse is a feature, not an application." And what he meant by that was, it's a feature that can be duplicated by hmm, Mark Zuckerberg, hmm, LinkedIn, hmm, you players to be named later. And he was absolutely mm-hmm. right. It's a feature, yeah. And that's yeah. And I don't have enough bandwidth. I got to find the things that multiply what force I can muster as far as it possibly can and Clubhouse was not it.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, and I met I met some interesting people. I had some interesting conversations, but you said something there that I really like, and that's that idea of the multiplier effect. My coding guys would always talk about replicable code. Right. The idea that you do not have to reinvent the wheel. You do a great podcast. You get a transcript. There have been times where I had a great interview and it inspired me and I wrote my own blog post that wasn't necessarily quoting it, but it was definitely referring back to some of the things I learned. And those two things came together and they multiply each other and sharing it on the different platforms. And something else, and I think this is both blogging and with podcasts, we're churning out so much content. And there's always the new. There's always the new. And one of the things that I learned is you got to go back every now and then and go, okay, I got 50 episodes. I have 100 episodes. When it comes to blog posts, my company blog, we had over 4,500 blog posts. Wow. And there was a lot. There was a lot of great stuff buried. And so you go in and you find that stuff and you give it new life. You update the content. You add a new picture you republish the episode and you have an opportunity to introduce a whole new audience. And when it comes to your blog, you have an opportunity to reintroduce Google. And that reoptimization process is hugely beneficial. We went from writing five blog posts a week to one a week because the other four days we were reoptimizing old posts, our SEO and web traffic went up, not down when we stopped writing as often.
0: Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I'm SEO agnostic, meaning, mm-hmm. uh, again, we've we've talked about my deficits. One of them <laughs> is giving a rip about search engine optimization. I know I should, but it's like um, not eating sweets. I know I shouldn't do that. Guess what? I still eat sweets. Sorry, mm-hmm. it's the way I roll. But let's talk about what you just said, which was mining the SEO goodness of stuff you've already done mm-hmm. and kind of uh, polishing it, uh, making a few changes. Can you give us an example? Like let's say you wrote a blog three years ago about mm-hmm. something. What could you do today to make it SEO worthy, Google worthy, interest worthy, etc.? Et
1: So several things that you should do with any old content is periodically go back in. Number one, you want to reread it, make sure it's all still accurate. Assuming it is, you want to add at least 100 words of additional content. Now that 100 words might start off with, this post was written five years ago, and we still think all of the information is valid. We've identified two or three things that you can do in addition to this, or Here's a new article or a new link. So number one, 100 additional words of just more content, new words, so Google identifies you've updated it. If it is related to other articles on your blog that you have written subsequently, create some internal inbound and outbound links between the posts. Because we talk about search engines as spiders and crawling. And when you put a link from one article on your website, to another, you're giving that spider that thread that it can follow. And you're not just doing something good for search engines. You're doing something good for the people who really count, those potential customers who have come that want to learn more. Now you're telling them how to find. If you can add a relevant picture, bonus, If you have a picture, my guess is the title of the picture is something like JPEG 1. Yeah. Because that's image 4573. Go back in, change the title of the picture, and add a little bit of alternate text. Number one, that helps search engines. But number two, it makes your website more accessible for people who are using devices to help them read your website. If you have someone who is visually impaired and they come to your website and their reader is reading the text and they go and roll over that image and all it says is JPEG 1, you've missed an opportunity to communicate to a portion of your audience what the page is about. So again, what you're going to find with me when I when I talk about SEO Yes, I want to make search engines happy because that brings people to my website. But I also want to make human beings happy because last time I looked, Google wasn't writing me a chat.
0: Yeah. The image thing, the image tip that you gave, I think is so big because a lot of people, they just post that image one, two, three or whatever. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying woman dash with dash dog dash Walking dash along dash shoreline, mm-hmm. which is a story right there. Mm-hmm. And it's human readable too. Mm-hmm. Which, again, if someone's looking for a photo of a woman walking along the shoreline and that's what your photo is called, they might discover you and your website because they found an image that matched mm-hmm. an image they were looking for for whatever. And all of a sudden you get an email saying, hey, can I use this photo for a presentation I'm giving at De blankety blank? And then all of a sudden you can build a relationship and who knows where that relationship could go, right?
1: Absolutely. And if I did a little infographic on a blog post, it's got to be 10 years ago, marketing org chart. And the image was called the marketing org chart. That image showed up in search. And again, because I'm a geek and I look at the numbers and blah, blah, blah. That blog post still gets traffic a decade later. Now, I was pretty smart. I figured that out and I went, you know what? I should write a follow up the marketing org chart, revisit it, the social media marketing org chart, marketing org chart, a closer look at sales strategy. I mean, I built out a series of like 12 blog posts that were all connected and all related, and they all did really well. Some yeah.
0: better than others. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. But all of them work on a personal branding basis hugely, which is they make you the expert, the go-to mm-hmm. expert. The, if someone grabs that and puts it in their presentation, and if you're smart when you build that thing, you put your logo in there and your mm-hmm. your uh, URL or your ideally a email address. And all, all of a sudden people are seeing your name and they They don't know where they saw it. They just know that, wow, that smart stuff is all associated with Lorraine Ball. Mm -hmm. Lorraine Ball's got something on the ball. (laughs) And the interesting thing is talking with you now and finding out that you recently sold your agency, you're kind of ramping down toward the end of that uh, transfer year, if you want to Mm -hmm. call it that. I have to ask you this because... Personally, I'm in what I like to call my Yoda years. Are you Mm -hmm. going into your Yoda years where you are inviting people to have you come to your conferences and speak Mm -hmm. and webinars and, and seminars and stuff like that? You're you're more willing to teach lightsaber tactics than actually swinging the lightsaber. Are you at that stage?
1: So what's funny is when I left corporate 20 years ago. I thought I was going to do a lot more Yoda stuff back then. And I did do some training and some corporate work. But while I was chasing a lot of those big presentations, people kept asking me, hey, can you help me with, I know, you know, marketing, can you help me? And so that's how the agency evolved. I've always done training. The pandemic put a real crunch in my um getting out and doing live training
0: oh yeah Uh, for sure
1: but uh yeah i i definitely i i love getting up that that's why i do the online training because it's really fun for me i took a year off but i've i uh i teach at a local university because that's where i thought you were going with the Yoda years is um uh yes young grasshopper yeah yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly. But I really, I really do enjoy that. And I actually, the digital toolbox started as a conference. I was frustrated because I wasn't getting invitations to speak at the kind of events I wanted to be speaking at. So I hosted one of my own and everybody told me that you're not going to make money the first year you do a conference just, and I'm like, I, I, I'm not going to do this if I'm not make money. And so I got a couple of sponsors and I capped the registration at a manageable level. We had 100 people attend and I made money and everyone was like, "Well, are you going to do this again next year?" and I'm like, "Well, okay, yeah." And we decided to go 2 years because I had some turnover on my team and I wanted to make sure I had the right people in place. And we were all set. Location, date, early August 2020. Ugh. Yeah, we. Oh. So what was interesting was because we had taken the year off, we did it in 18. And so in 2019, I had a very technical team, but not really a team that I thought would be able to be comfortable running the conference with me. We took all of the training and put it all online. Mm. So we had built out the online portal and then the pandemic hit and I had a really interesting first quarter. Mm -hmm.
0: This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search nonfiction brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Well, I tell you, that's the benefit of having multiple irons in the fire. <laughs> you know, cuz you've got speaking, that that's an iron in the fire. You've got training in person, online, those are a couple of different irons in the fire, and you've got this going on, that going on, etc. You're hedging your bets on a whole lot of things and and when something like COVID comes around, yikes, man, that that could put the fear of God in you. But if you've got the right irons in the fire and you've got had them there, it's not like mm-hmm. you have to suddenly shove them in the fire because of COVID, but no, they've been developed over time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All of a sudden you're, you've got that diversification that every financial mm-hmm. professional always says, don't buy a single stock, diversify, <laughs> diversify, diversify. Don't try to time the market. Exactly, mm-hmm. don't try to time the market and say, mm, pandemic coming up, I better do something. No, have it going already. And all the way back to 12 years ago when you started your podcast. You feel bad about taking a little bit of a lull after 12 years? I'm sorry, (laughs) sister. I think you deserve it. But the best thing is it keeps you young, too. I mean, let's face it.
1: There's always something new. And I have always enjoyed the what's new, the what's different. Sure, I'll grumble when Facebook changes their algorithms, but I remember before Facebook, there was another platform because we adults couldn't be on Facebook. It was just college. Right. And so there were some other platforms. And I was absolutely fascinated by the Ning platform and how we were building communities on that that then disappeared when Facebook opened up because it was just such a, a bigger thing. But I've always enjoyed sort of sort of kicking the tires, going, okay, this is an interesting technology. Does it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? How do I play? And I've had glorious failures and wonderful surprises. And I intend to keep doing it. I I think that I'm not ready to sit on my porch, back porch on my rocking chair, reading a book. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that on a Sunday afternoon or something, but the rest of the time I like being out. I love the opportunity to continue to learn from people and I love the opportunity to teach. I'm a I'm a teacher by training way way back before my corporate days. Wow. I have a teaching degree.
0: Wow. Oh, and there there you go. You you can't teach people who don't want to learn from you. And the ones who want to learn from you, want to learn from you because you've demonstrated that you've got the goods to mm-hmm. teach them, you know? And the thing about personal branding and small business branding is it it's that hide your light under a bushel thing. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the bushel, get out from under there and let people know who you are, what you do and how you do it by the way you demonstrate it on a daily basis via the incredible free platforms, bare minimum of social media. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to spend any money on Google AdWords. I'm not asking you to buy fake Instagram followers. I'm not asking you Mm -hmm. to do anything other than go to your LinkedIn, update your profile, and then find an interesting article to share with people. Maybe written by someone else. Curation is incredibly good social media fodder.
1: Now, I will say one thing that I always tell people when you curate, that you want to add your perspective. I see too often people just curate an article and just share, hey, this is an interesting read. Okay. Why is it an interesting read? If I'm following you, I want to know your opinion. If you don't add any value, I'm just going to follow the person whose article you just shared.
0: Exactly. And that's why I use the word demonstrate so much. You have Mm -hmm. to demonstrate your expertise. One, you demonstrate by curating your eye, your taste, and your your ability to locate something of value. But then you truly demonstrate your value add on everything you do mm-hmm. by actually adding value to that curation. Like if all you do is say, here's a fantastic article by Lorraine Ball. I really love what she has to say about X, Y, and Z. I wonder if she knows about another article written by someone else blah, 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 on a similar topic. Mm-hmm. And then I say, at Lorraine Ball, have you seen this article by Tom Peters in Inc., you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, I'm creating a conversation with mm-hmm. Lorraine Ball, with anyone who reads that that specific post, and ideally with the person that I'm trying to link to as well. And mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you never know where it's going to go when you essentially put out a party platter, and invite people to the party and say i'm adding value you add value we're going to get along fine and and you're going to be not following some guru wannabe that is talking mm-hmm. about in their single sentence posts mm-hmm. the broetry of linkedin oh my <laughs> god give me a break
1: yeah but you know it's interesting when you do when you do what you said when you are sharing good content and having conversations it works I had probably eight or nine years ago, a friend of mine reached out who I had worked with eight or nine years before. And she's like, Hey, I just got a new job. We're putting on a conference. I love your stuff on this. And that kind of cycled down for a while, but you know, things are opening back up. And the guy who was my assistant 25 years ago said, Oh my God, Lorraine, I've got this great job. And I'm in an organization that desperately needs you. And had he not seen my content, I don't know that after 25 years, I would have necessarily been top of mind for him.
0: Well, exactly. And the first book I wrote with Spencer X. Smith is called Rotoma, the ROI of social media, top of mind, because Mm -hmm. people always ask, what is the ROI of social media? That's the wrong question. The right question is what is social media good for? And the answer is the return on top of mind awareness. Every time Mm -hmm. you post, it's a ping on people's radars. I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. I've had the same thing happen to me. People I worked Mm -hmm. with 20 years ago, hiring me for something, whether it's freelance work or a conference speaking keynote, Mm -hmm. or even just a, hey, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. They would never have asked had I not been pinging on their radar. So get out there and start pinging on people's radars. And so Lorraine Ball, I gotta ask you, how can people get you on their radar? What What's your favorite social channel?
1: My favorite social channel for business is definitely LinkedIn. I am really enjoying a lot of the new features. And so Lorraine Ball on LinkedIn is definitely where I like to have conversations.
0: Well, definitely look her up. It's Lorraine Ball, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, Ball, as in bouncing ball. And you'll be able to find her there and definitely follow her. She's got a lot to share and a lot to say and also is part of a pretty big network on LinkedIn. So if you get to know her, she just might be your entree to a whole bunch of LinkedIn party platters. So definitely check her out there. Also check out her podcast, More Than A Few Words. Is that the one that you've been doing for 12 years? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, my it is. my Lord.
1: Yes, yes,
0: it is. 640-plus episodes of goodness all waiting for you right there. So that's, uh, again, More Than A Few Words, which I'm sure is available everywhere you can get fine podcasts for free. And that's the key. We're talking about free here. None of this Mm -hmm. is trying to sell you anything. And it's all free available to you. So definitely check it out. That's it for this week on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I'm your host, DP Knuton. And she is... Lorraine Ball. And I'll be talking at y'all next week. Bye-bye.